Welcome to the Brighter Skies podcast with Gary Ware. This podcast is to inspire everyone to become the person they're meant to be, to take action and to realise life doesn't always go to plan. Gary will be speaking to successful entrepreneurs who will share the good, the bad and the ugly of building business and what to do to keep moving. Having left school with just two GCSEs, he achieved his aspiration to be a manager on the Red Arrows. Gary is all about assisting others to grow whilst he is now embarking on his next adventure. We will bring you inspiration with a dose of true insight and reality. Let's grow stronger together by learning from the journeys of the successful and knowing that there are always brighter skies ahead. Hi and welcome to the latest edition of the Bright Skies podcast. Uh, Today we're joined with Joe Catchside. Uh, Joe Catchside is a estate agency owner, a property investor, entrepreneur and public speaker. Now I brought Joe on because I want to talk about estate agency. Joe delivers some great content, tells you the secrets of chatting to the agency. Um, so thank you, Joe, for coming on my podcast. Absolute pleasure, Gary. How did you get into um, state agency? Yeah, so um, I, I got into a state agency by quite a circuitous route, to be honest. Um, I went, uh, I grew up in Warrington in the northwest between Liverpool and Manchester, uh, went just to the local comprehensive school, and I came from a, a very much a public service background. Uh, my parents were both qualified librarians, it's how they met. And my dad ended up being the director of the libraries and arts service in, first in Liverpool and then later on in Manchester. So he was pretty successful in his career in that regard. And my mum also retrained as a school teacher. So she, her career sort of varied between um, teaching primary and then being school librarians in different places across my, my youth. Um, I'm sure many of your um, listeners will be very familiar with the Rich Dad Poor Dad book. And my, that really resonates for me because my, my parents, although both very successful public servants, gave us a great childhood for me and my sister, um, filled us with a sense that we could do anything, be anything, and that education would, would lead us in whichever direction we chose. Um, at the same time, they weren't particularly financially adept. Uh, so I had always in my youth um, expected that I would follow some kind of academic or teaching pathway. Um, I did really well in, mid, in, in school and ended up st- studying English at the University of Cambridge. And I thought that I would go into some kind of teaching or mentorship role after that. Uh, but I graduated in the early 90s and work was very, very difficult to come by. So it kind of um, I, I changed direction a couple of times and uh, a couple of relationships that took me in various places around the country. And I ended up not without not with any kind of plan or, or as such, but going into the business of commercial conference organisation. Um, where you would get a brief, you do a lot of research into it, um, not working to anybody else's um, sort of agenda, I suppose, but you would have to create an agenda out of um, smoke and mirrors and scotch mist and then be able to sell that back into the market in about a four-week turnaround with an agenda that you'd written and 16 speakers that you'd phoned up and confirmed would come and talk that was then pitched into the open market in industry um, a, a day rate of about a thousand quid for each of a two-day course that would also take senior professionals out of the office for two days. So that was really kind of a, a schooling in entrepreneurial business because every individual conference 
was a complete business from start to finish over about a six month cycle with no background before it and no outcome beyond it. And just you spend 30,000 quid, you try and make 60,000 quid from it. Um, that's kind of what introduced me in the first instance to the world of business. And it also introduced me to uh, a, a certain young lady who then went on to become my wife and has always been my business partner pretty much from, from day one when we met in the business context. Um, and her dad, she's Australian. Her father had gone to Australia as a way of avoiding being either conscripted into the Yugoslav army or possibly arrested and shot because he was he was quite an entrepreneurial character in a, in a communist regime in Eastern Europe. Um, and apparently the uh, the Yugoslav authorities used to frown upon him doing things like filling rowing books with butter and then rowing it across to Italy and that kind of stuff. Um, so that's very much the, the, the kind of Rich Dad equivalent that, that my father-in-law then literally gave me a copy of Rich Dad Poor Dad and said, read that. Um, and he in Australia, although he stayed in in his profession all the way through his working life until he retired a couple of years ago, uh, pushing 70, working in oil refineries, but he also built up a property portfolio uh, that he still runs and manages, and they have international investments in New Zealand and in the States. Uh, uh, and that was kind of our insight, or my insight, and our family's insight into the world of, of property. Um, now, how this kind of translated is that um, there's a couple of steps. Firstly, my wife and I started our own conference business, originally as an outsource provider to a magazine, and then ultimately venture funding our own events. When I say events, we've gone from doing 10 each in a year in London to doing one each in a year in our nice little um, uh, house in Devon where we'd kind of <laughs> sort of semi-retired to. And we, and we led a lifestyle business where we were doing these two events, working flat out for six months, spending 70000 to make the events happen, and about three weeks before the events, looking at our bank balance going, it's minus 65, I hope this works. Yeah. Um, and then we'd come out the other side of it six weeks later with, with 70 grand in the bank. Um, every time we did that, we bought a house and then we spent a few months off and put the money aside for the next conference and went to Australia for a few months and managed rock bands and did all sorts of interesting stuff. Wow, what rock bands? Uh, a couple of bands, actually. Um, we started off running Rock Nights. Um, again, so every every story is a tangent, but I used to go to the local venue in Exeter and I'd pay three quid and I'd watch local bands and they'd be playing, different bands playing every night and most of the audience were all the lads and, and women who were in bands that were going to be playing later in the week or had played the week before. It was a really brilliant kind of uh, creative environment. I thought it was fabulous. But I also thought I'm spending like 15, 20 quid a week coming and watching all these bands. Why don't I just put on the show? So I did. And then all the people who were coming to the big gigs would come and pay me three quid a night to go and watch the same bands. Whereas I was kind of sitting there as um, on the desk, picking up all the money, getting paid to watch the bands I was going to watch anyway. And that went from there to then running a rock night in Torquay, doing gigs in Plymouth and Bath and... Um, and we picked up a couple of the better bands that we we thought had real potential, and we managed them for a bit. Um, a band called Brat, a band called Murdoch in particular. Um, neither of them broke big, but the band Brat kind of they fragmented after a couple of years, and a couple of their people went in and are still gigging professional musicians. Um, and one of the guitarists is also now a, a journalist on a country and western magazine and, and radio station and stuff. So. It, it was, but it was just stuff that we enjoyed doing, and, and we tried always to do things that we enjoy, 
and get paid from enough of them that we can keep doing the other things that we enjoy that don't pay anything. Do you know what? I love I love that because it's it's just unconventional thinking, isn't it? You go in there to look at look at a band, but then you're working yeah. out how to get paid to look at the band and then leading on from that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, exactly. We, we we try to do that. If we can work out a way to get paid to do the things that we want to do anyway, then then you're rich. You, yeah. you don't need the money. You just need to work out what the money would allow you to do. And if you can do it without the money, or if even better, you can do it in a way that you can make the money from it, then happy days. Well, that's a rich life, isn't it? That's yeah. That's what it's all about. That's why we do yeah, it. absolutely. Um, so yeah, just to kind of finish off and bring you back into a state agency, uh, when we when my son was born, a couple of years in, we thought, do you know what, we need something a little bit more bricks and mortar and a little bit more serious than just this kind of seat of our pants one one event each year. Because if we get it wrong one year, then we can't do the one next year. Um, and because we'd had we bought property, we were up to eight investment properties at that point, and we thought that the experience we'd had in the state agency had been pretty awful. Uh, we saw that as an opportunity. We thought, well, if we go into this industry that we've seen as a consumer and we build it in a different way, not because we're estate agents, but because we're customers to estate agents, we create the agency that we would want to deal with, then that's got to be a business opportunity for us. And that's what led us to set up our agency in, in 2005. So since 2005. It's a yeah. good journey. I love the <laughs> journey. I love the, the way that you've started out and it's, it's real entrepreneurial all the way through. Um, yeah, so I love it. But the reason that I've asked you to come on this this podcast is because we've found a community. I mean, we're, we're yeah. both in the same community. It's yeah. 6,000 large, um, amazing. That then got offshoot communities, which are thousands large. And even though everybody works their own different way and the way they talk to agencies, it can be a bit of a stigma sometimes and, and trying to break into it and it could put people off. So as you're an independent agent, uh, and as I've seen you talk about this quite a lot, you offer a lot that, that can allow people to, to get that in, to get that insight and, and how agencies work. So I was open to, to pick your brains, get you to offer some advice, um, some things that you feel would give back to, to the community. Um, and we touched on it earlier. It's, it's sort of the three areas, the three key areas that you feel that we should be looking at or to understand, which then would allow anybody to go into an agency and then pitch what they want. Um, and I think we started off by saying, understanding how agency business work. Um, so I wonder if you could run through that for Yeah, them. certainly. Um, I, I think that first, people tend to either pedestalize estate agents that they somehow are kind of the fountains of all knowledge of the local property community and that they're the gatekeepers to property. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I've told you my journey into agency, but an awful lot of people who work in a state agency are not professional property investors. Um, you wouldn't even really call them property professionals. The vast majority of people, they are working in a state agency because when they were 16 or 18 or 21, they applied for a whole bunch of jobs and they didn't get the one in the bank or at the insurance company or at the local leisure centre, but the estate agent gave them a job. So many of the people who come into agency in the first instance are there almost by chance. Um, it's, it's not necessarily an intent. They just go into that career by, by the circumstances of their own life, and then they build a career in that environment. Um, so uh, the kind of first message I would say is don't be scared of talking to a state agent because the chances are 
certainly if you are starting to become a professional in this environment and you're doing your own training and you've got mentors and you've read around the subject, you may very well be more knowledgeable and experienced in property in general than the estate agent is, even though the agent themselves has a lot of knowledge and understanding of narrow slices of the property market in the locality where, where they're based. Um, now, in, in terms of what I've said about understanding the estate agency business, I find this to be an absolutely fascinating question because, uh, and following on from what I've just said about how agents get into property themselves or get into estate agency themselves, I don't think all the estate agents on any given high street necessarily properly understand their own business. Um, and what I mean by that is the perception of a state agency is that a state agents sell houses or we'll, rent houses, but we'll deal with rentals later. Um, so people perceive the estate agency business as being about selling houses and that the agents are usually rewarded with, with incentives and bonuses on a pay packet if they sell a house. Um, and yet that's not really their business because it's not the seller of the house it's not sorry it's not the buyer of the house that pays them so selling the house is not the thing that prompts the buyer of the house to hand over cash to the estate agent the estate agent is actually working for the person who has a house to sell so the driver of estate agency business is selling services to sellers of houses um, and that's where the agency business starts um, there are agencies now, the like of uh, Strike, the online agent, who don't even charge sellers for selling houses. It's crazy. Uh, uh, yeah. But the reason that that's true is because it's not only the sellers of the house that pay the agent. The agent is also very often, more often than not, paid for referrals to lawyers or mortgage brokers and then other esoteric services they get paid by um, removal firms, they might get paid by surveyors, they might get paid by companies that switch utility services. But all of the driver in agency business comes from having houses on their books to sell. And all agencies marketing is pitched not to sell the house, but to sell the services to sellers. Um, That's interesting. Once, yeah, Very once you kind of get your head around that, that fundamental, then it allows you to think a little bit differently about how you will approach an estate agent. Um, so we used to get people coming to our agency on a regular basis. We had a, a very prominent office on a high street um, in, in Exeter. Um, our business was called Underhills, and you said I'm an estate agent. We actually sold the last part of our agency a couple of months ago. So we've done 16 years in agency so that you and your listeners don't have to. But we also now no longer have a, a high street estate agency business. We're just out of it. Um, but we had a high street presence in Exeter and people would walk into our office and you'd almost know before they'd said anything that they'd just come off a course. Um, yeah. They'd be dressed in a shiny suit. They'd have a nice freshly printed business card. They might have a clipboard. Um, mm -hmm. And they would say something like... Um, uh, good afternoon. I am a local property investor and I'm looking to purchase properties at 25% below market value. And you'd almost put your head in your hands and go, look, just go back to school, learn something different, <laughs> yeah. approach it in a different manner. Uh, but the, where I'm going with that is that people think if you walk into an estate agent going, I want to buy a house, that somehow you become a really important person to them. 
and you're massively overvaluing your own importance in that conversation because houses are bought by people who want to buy the house uh, by what I mean is uh, that what I mean is I've never heard an estate agent say anything so clever that somebody bought a house accidentally even though they didn't like it equally I've never seen an estate agent say something so stupid that the person who really wants to buy the house decides they're not going to buy that house because the estate agent's a bit of a knob and they want to get one over on it. Yeah. But ultimately, the house will sell. If you put it on the market too high, nobody will go. But then if you drop the price, when you get to a certain level, somebody will want to see it. It will be in their budget. It will be in their area. And as long as you turn up and send out the letters and documents in the right manner, the house will sell. So selling the house is not the agent's biggest problem. The agent's biggest problem is getting the house to sell in the first place. Um, and, and that is absolutely critical. Now, when I say understanding the, the agent's model, um, uh, understanding the agent's business, that's because there are different ways in which estate agency businesses are structured. So you need to understand a little bit about that to understand what the drivers are going to be for the people in the office. Ultimately, when you build a relationship with your local estate agent, you're building a relationship with a person but if you're going to deliver things into their business that help their business grow, then you have to understand quite how their business works and where that person fits in the, in the picture of the business. So um, are you all right if I talk a little bit about the, the structures of agency? Would that be useful? Yeah, definitely. Um, understanding the structure of an agency would be beneficial because then it would give an understanding to the listener and then the listener can then adapt the way that they operate. So, yeah, yeah. please, 100%. Absolutely. Uh, so there are three different kinds of estate agency. Uh, the first kind is um, is the corporation, uh, a corporate agent. Um, that's major brands that operate across every high street in every town in, in, in across the UK, or at least you, you're dealing with offices uh, numbering into their hundreds that are all owned by the same company. Now, you'd think that would be pretty straightforward to, to recognise and to spot, uh, and, and some of those high street agency brands, some of those corporate brands are reasonably obvious. So um, the Connells, for example, the big kind of um, red and white bands with the, with the Connells written in the middle is a, is a national agency brand. That's owned by the Sequence Group. They are part of the group that owns the Skipton Building Society. What's not necessarily as obvious is that they also own all of the brands that are kind of like a whiteboard with four circles on them. Um, depending on where you are, you might know them as Fox and Son or William H. Brown or um, Barnard Marcus, or there's, there's half a dozen different names that they trade under with a very similar logo. They're all part of the same corporation. Um, there's also several hundred different agency offices around the country that are branded up with a local name uh, in where I am in Devon, for example, it's Fulfords. Now, the Fulford family still exist in Devon. They're big landowners. Occasionally, they turn up on sort of uh, BBC Two shows at half past five on a, on a weekday about antiques or land or farming or some kind of light entertainment stuff, Gerald Fulford. Um, but the Fulford estate agency brand was actually bought out by a corporation many, many years ago until very recently it was owned by the Countrywide Group and the Countrywide Group has now been bought by the Sequence Group that owns Connells and Barnard Marcus and is part of the Skipton Building Society Group. So what you might perceive as being a, a local brand on your high street may very well be part of a corporation. 
And the reason that makes a difference, you're getting a little bit of a, of a clue into it there by the fact that they're all owned by a building society, ultimately, or part of a group with a building society. Those businesses were originally acquired to direct mortgage business towards the building society. Right. Mate, so this isn't actually anything to do with selling houses. It's about creating more wealth through through mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. That's Oh, certainly within within a group. So, yeah, of course, they charge for estate agency services, but the person behind the desk that you're talking to, their commission that month will be determined not necessarily just by how many houses they've got instructed on or how many houses they've sold, but also by how many mortgage referrals they've given to the mortgage broker in the back of the room or how many legal referrals they've given to their in-house conveyancing team or how many surveys that they've directed to, to their surveying team. So the, the dynamics, if you follow the money, their business is very much not just about getting houses to sell, mm. but also getting mortgage referrals, getting legal referrals and so on. Um, so interestingly, you could, you could effectively put yourself out of business as me going in as a property investor, wanted to buy some buy-to-lets mm. by saying, I've got all my team set up. I don't want any anything... Um, to do with your teams i don't need a mortgage i don't need a surveyor i don't need all these different stakeholders that that are required yeah could could effectively lose your business it, it can it can put you out of the game um, and yeah. although it's illegal it's illegal for an estate agent to say i am not showing you this property unless you use our broker unless you use our team uh, you still hear so many stories of that happening that you know it happens and uh, the other thing within that context, I mean, personally, I think this is very wrong. This is one of the things that we saw in agency that we thought was was wrong. So when we started our business, we wanted to change the way things were done. But if you are a seller of a house, your ideal buyer is a cash buyer, doesn't need a mortgage, doesn't need to sell anything, doesn't even necessarily need a survey because they're just buying it because they've got the money and they could do it on trust. And it's, you know, it might be a, a middle house of a row of terraces. So, they, you know, it's not going to fall down because all the others are holding it up whatever it might be, but your perfect buyer is a cash buyer. But if you're the agent sitting behind that desk, that cash buyer who's not using any of your team won't pay you as much as the first-time buyer or the second-time buyer with a property to sell who needs a mortgage, who doesn't really know what's going on, he'll use your, your broker or your legal services because you've pointed them in that direction. That might, in fact, might not just be that they're worth more because you get a commission on the referrals, but they might be worth a lot more because you don't get commission on any of it unless you hit the referral targets. So you can be in a circumstance when, as a seller, you're talking to an agent, you think they're working on your behalf. And as the agent, your best interest is served by dealing with a different, less high-quality buyer. Shouldn't It shouldn't be like that, in my, to my mind, but it is. And if you're a property investor and you want to work with one of those major high-street brands or a major corporation, even if they're... Uh, trading under a little local brand in your area then you you need to play the game a little bit you're going to have to tell them that you will use their mortgage broker that you will go through their legal services because otherwise you'll exclude yourself from a, a range of opportunities that you might otherwise be able to to, to work with and capitalize on and it might be that you change your mind later in the day that once you've built a relationship with the with the seller of the house once you've got your sale agreed once you've got that get to the point that the solicitors are are instructed or about to be instructed then you can roll back and you could say oh do you know what i need this to go through more quickly i've got my own person um I, your mortgage advisor was great but actually i've got my finance from somewhere else i don't need them anymore um 
but if you if you say those things at the start then you might not even see the house yeah agreed yeah i mean it's tough it's a tough place to be especially somebody trying to buy buy to less because if you're going into these agencies and you want to buy it but then you you get all the way through and follow their motions follow their steps and then you get to the end and say i'm using my own team that that could potentially stop it so it's it's a bit of a, a tough circle and a tough battle to have but i suppose it's nature of the beast it, it, it's yeah good, you're right very good um, insight well, exactly. And the important thing is to, to once you kind of understand how their business works, then you can respond to that appropriately. And actually, once you've, if you bought a couple of houses for from an agent, then they will start to see you in a slightly different manner. Uh, they will start to take you more seriously. But if you're just starting out and you go into an estate agency and you think that buying a house is going to make you like kind of kingpin in the room, it, it's not necessarily. And there are other things around it. Um the next thing I'm going to say applies to all different kind of agencies because the key thing is getting more houses to sell. So if the property strategy that you're following allows you either to do that or even to bring more business into the agency, then that is a way to build a relationship with the agent. So if you go into an agency and say, I want to buy this house, then you're no different to anybody else on the market, anybody else who walks into the office. But if you can go into an agency and go, I want to buy this house because my intention is to refurbish it and then refinance it and get my money out, for which I'll use your broker and your legal team. So you're getting two hits of that cherry because I use you all the way through. And then at the end of it, I'm either going to hand it over to your rental department and they can make a, an ongoing commission for renting it or finding me a tenant. Or even if I'm going to flip properties, then I'm going to sell it and I'm going to sell it back through your agency suddenly then you do stand out from the crowd because you're not just a single buyer or a single transaction. You are repeat ongoing business for them. Um, and, and that's the kind of conversation that you need to be having quite early in the piece to allow the agent to understand that you are, you're somebody that they need to be talking to and taking more seriously because you can bring them more business in the future rather than just a single transaction now. Very interesting. That's very good to know, especially walking into an agency. Um, mm -hmm. Connect strategy before considering all these different aspects and what they might do and understanding the groups. Is there a way? I mean, I know you offer this in your training, don't you? Um, that you could offer guidance on which corporations own which um, estate agencies, really around the around the UK. I mean, um, it they is work very similarly. It's it's very local, um, so I wouldn't recognise one of the former countrywide brands that's now owned by by the sequence group necessarily off, off the cuff without actually doing the research. But you can do the research by having a look at their website on Google, uh, a look at the website rather. You can also Google the company and see if it comes up as part of a corporate group. You can start from the corporate group and then look to which uh, local brands they operate under in your area. Or you can phone the office and you can say, I'm looking at instructing an estate agent or using an estate agent. Can you let me know, are you an independent or are you part of a corporate group? Um, the other major corporate group that people will know, they won't know the name of the group necessarily because they're called LSL and that isn't a high street brand, but you may very well know Your Move or Reed's Reigns. Both of those brands are owned by LSL. So they're the two really big players now in the UK market. You've got the sequence group and then you've got LSL. And if you ask the agents, by and large, they'll, they will tell you. They won't know why you're asking necessarily, but they won't be offended. Um, and I'd, I'd say to anybody as well, don't be scared of having conversations where you don't declare your hand to an agent, just phone them up, I'm interested in this, can you tell me that? And they'll tell you, and you go, okay, that's brilliant, now I know, thank you, bye. You don't have to leave your details every time you make a call. 
Um, you might want to have a couple of email addresses that you can drop so you see what's going on without telling them who you actually are when you talk to them from your your, your real email address with a view to doing business. Um, moving on from the corporate estate agents, the sort of the opposite end of that are the little one-man band independent or one-woman band independent agencies. Um, you'll find them in every town. There'll be a, a, you know, a single office sitting there with the owner managers sitting at the back of the office. You'll also see agencies that have started from there and have grown to maybe two, three, four offices for which this also applies. Um, and the key thing in those offices is that the, the money that they receive from the sale of houses or the sale of services um, pays for the kids' food on the table and the, and the family holiday and the, you know, the Christmas presents that they're about to stick on the credit card. It'll pay that off in January. So those businesses and those owner-manager businesses in particular are ones that are going to be far more open to uh, building a relationship with and creating deals through. Um, the corporate agent may not have any flexibility, may not be allowed to do some of the deals that you might want to do. Um, I know there's a very much a kind of a sort of frowned upon um, culture towards rent-to-rent -to -rent property strategies within the corporate agencies. Um, but for the local independent, as long as they understand what you're bringing to the party for them, they have both the authority and the, the vested interest to listen to and, and, and very often to do those kind of more creative deals that a lot of the people in the community would want to, to propose. Um, so I would suggest actually that the independent agents in your local town are your best friends when it comes to building relationships with agents because they've got... Um, They've got the deals, but they've got the authority to do the deals and to listen to and understand and be flexible about the way in which they, they organise their, 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 their workload and their income. Um, so all those things I've said previously also apply. Um, but if you want to, if you're buying a property, say, from a corporate agent and you've already realised that you're not going to be able to do a build a relationship with that agent because the manager in the office just doesn't have the licence to, to do that, then maybe what you're doing is once you've got through the door and you've got that property that you're, you're interested in purchasing or that you're interested in in whichever way, you can then take some of the subsidiary business to the independent agent you want to build your relationship with. So maybe, although you've agreed to use the in-house lawyer at the commercial firm, at the corporate firm, you actually then take the business to the in-house or, or to a referral from the independent because the independent's still getting paid for that. Yeah. Um, and um, to them especially, getting more business on their books is really important. So I know a lot of us in the community uh, do direct-to-vendor marketing, where you'll be sending out flyers that say, we buy houses or offers made, quick sale, whatever it might be. When you get those calls in, some of the people you can deal with directly because you're the best solution. But quite a lot of those people who would call in response to a flyer or a marketing campaign like that their best solution will still be to use a conventional estate agent for a conventional sale. And you can just throw those leads in the bin or you can use those to build a relationship with your local independent agent. You can go to the local independent and say, look, I can give you all of my leads from director vendor marketing. And once you start to bring them one, two, three people that they can get instructions from, potentially to sell property, suddenly then you're a very valuable person in their office, even if at that point they haven't given you any business at all. There is no cost to building that relationship, but the benefits will come back somewhere along the line in the reciprocal relationship that you build with someone. Yeah, that's very interesting. 
I'd not even considered that. Um, so I do send out leaflets and I know a lot of people do. So if they're listening, I think this is an eye opener for them just to get a foot in the door with an agency without taking yeah, in the, absolutely. the coffees. Cause I mean, I, I, a lot of people take in the gifts to them. I personally don't, I'll take in a coffee just for me and the person I'm mm-hmm. chatting to, uh, just to thank them for the time. But the, I think this is better than taking in a coffee. Or oh, if you're pulling mate, people, absolutely. Everything else is putting business in there. The, I'm not going to dis, you know, discourage people from doing, you know, nice things and building up relationships with people through through friendly gestures. But if you think because you've dropped in a box of biscuits to the estate agent every couple of weeks, or you know, chocolates or or whatever it might be, that that agent is going to preference you for giving your business over somebody else, then that's not necessarily the case. Um, it it might help, and and it certainly all helps in part of the building of a relationship. But it's not like that's the magic secret formula that's going to get you at the top of the list for the estate agency. If, you, if as an estate agent owner, I have a choice between dealing with someone who gave me a box of chocolates and dealing with somebody who brought me three instructions last month, it, it, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, thanks for the chocolates. I'm going to use those as incentives for my staff and give them away at a Christmas party. Or just, <laughs> you know, it'll make us all feel good, but it won't get you any more business. It, it, it's personal relationships. So if it turns out that you know you and the you and the person who owns the agency happen to support the same football team and you can get them tickets to a game, then yes, they're going to be positively inclined towards you if you can do things for your friends and make them into friends. But still, the key driver to an, an agent is their bottom line. And whereas in a corporate agency, that will be a bottom line within group numbers that they're head, handed down from head office. For your independent estate agency, then it's the bottom line is the you know paying the mortgage at the end of the month for the person in the back of the office. Um, so they are much more inclined uh, to be able to deliver on the kind of things that you'd want from a mutually beneficial relationship. Um, so I just I think that's, that's kind of an interesting thing to be aware of. There is a sort of halfway house, which uh, are the franchise-based estate agencies. Um, now, they might be brands that you recognise from, from the high street. So um, Martin & Co is, a, is an impression in, in Exeter. Um, and there's a number of other uh, uh, brands that you'd see and you think, oh, yeah, 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 there's, there's, there's dozens of those. I see them wherever I go in the country. They might still be owned by the person who's sitting in that office because just like Subway or just like McDonald's, the, the person who owns that local office in your town has paid the corporate, the corporation for the brand and the system, but it's their business. They are the owner of that business, and they pay an ongoing uh, franchise fee for the rights to use the systems and, and the logos. Um, they're very interesting, I think, because very often franchise holders are people who have had successful business careers, not necessarily all that cheap to buy an estate agency franchise to pay in and get set up, but um, people do that when they are accomplished businessmen or women, but that don't necessarily have a background in agency. So your franchise owner may very well have made their money in, I don't know, engineering or software design or I don't know what some some other kind of aspect of business, and they've thought long term. Well, what they want to do now is to own a franchise that they can build value into, that they might sell ten years down the tracks, that they understand the incomings and outgoings of a business, but they don't know the detail of how to run an estate agency. So they buy the system and they pay the staff, but they're accomplished business people with 
an element of autonomy over what they do. So they will be potentially very receptive to relationships with creativity and that bring things into their business that they can then reciprocate more so than the, the corporates would be, even though to an untrained eye, they look like a corporate because they're the same brand as every other, you know, different high streets up and, up and down your area. Would you say the same advice of, of just calling and saying, is this a franchise, is this owned by a franchise? Um, or... uh, you can. Um, the, the, the example I gave, Martin Co., and about half a dozen other companies of that nature are all owned by a company called the Property Franchise Group. So if you go onto Google, look at the Property Franchise Group, that will cover about half of those brand names. Um, if there's other companies, if you Google estate agency franchises, then you'll see the companies who are selling agency franchises and therefore you'll be able to, to pick some of them out. But yeah, you can. I mean, there's no harm in asking somebody and being up front and saying, I'm, I'm doing some research in the local property market. I've got some properties to sell in the future. Are you part of a franchise group? Are you a corporation? Are you an independent? But the key thing is for you as the property professional to do your research. Um, just as I would never buy a house or, or even take a house on a, on a rent strategy, rent to rent strategy, without having gone into land registry and paid my three quid to find out who actually owns it and which mortgage company actually has a charge on it, I would never consider going and having a conversation with an estate agent about property, about a property deal or something I was interested in, without really understanding before I start what kind of business I'm talking to. Because uh, then you know the limitations of what you can you can say and do and offer, and you know what you can expect back in return. Yeah, I think that's vitally important. Due diligence for everything. So I I do the same. I'll go to land registry to find out all the charges. Um, I'll pay for their service just to get that information. I mean, it costs six quid, and and you can get all this information about property you're going to buy. So yeah, yeah, why not do it against an estate agency? Find out who owns it, what type of business they are, whether it's independent, franchise, or owned by a corporation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if I had a question that I would suggest that people start with when they talk to estate agencies, that question should be, what can I do for you? Because if you can deliver to the agent what the agent needs within their own business, then they are going to take you seriously. Um, and in that context, you they might have someone who buys a property every month off them. But the buying of property from an estate agent is not the big deal. If they know that you might only buy one property from them, but you're going to refinance it through their company, you're going to flip it and let it out through their company or sell it through their company. It doesn't matter that there's an agent, that there's somebody who buys 10 properties a year, 20 properties a year. You still go ahead of them in the queue because you're offering the agency's business more. Um, besides which, even if you've got, yeah, if you're in Peterborough, which is where I happen to be talking to you from at the moment, and you've got um, one of the, biggest property entrepreneurs on your doorstep they still don't buy everything in their own town there's always deals to be done there's always other properties but don't let the idea that because you're new you don't have the opportunity or the the, the wherewithal to compete with a seasoned professional uh, get into your head as a, as a concept because that's just not the case you just need to be a professional understand who you're talking to understand what you can give them and give it to them Get out there, get out there and do it. Go and speak to them and engage. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree um, with that. And yeah, you know, I, I, I've said you, you've seen me present on this, but ultimately, you can not just become the most valuable person to that estate agent, but you can actually, if you understand what you want, you understand what they need, and you can marry the two together, 
then you can effectively get the estate agent to work for you. So um, just by way of example, if you know, for example, that your strategy is to take two bedroom terraced houses and to reconfigure the interior to make them into three bedroom houses and get the capital uplift from adding additional room, at which point then you're going to refinance and you might either sell or you might just pull the money back out of the deal. That's a reasonably common strategy and one that's taught um, by many or most of the property trading companies. So if you know that on this particular street, every terraced house, either because they're all exactly the same layout, will work for you, or occasionally if they're built sort of mirror images of one another, then every second house is going to work. You know that that street is, is a place where you want to buy property or to invest in property because it works for your strategy. And maybe there's half a dozen streets that are like that, normally all in the same area, the same sort of chimney pot part of town, the Victorian Edwardian terraces that are so common everywhere in the UK. Um, you now know that your estate agent needs to win sales business. That's their job is to become the provider of services to sellers. And the agent knows that you want any of the houses in those streets. So the agent can perfectly legitimately direct their marketing flyers, their own marketing leaflets to people in those streets to say, we have buyers lined up ready for this kind of property. Because then suddenly the agent is going into a conversation with somebody where they know that you will go and have a look at the property and that you know that if it meets your requirements and that you know it might be a certain elements of condition that that vary or if there's internal work already been done but at very least they genuinely do have an interested buyer who straight away will want to go and have a look at the property now in general terms anyway that's something that you can do for your estate agents because um for an agent winning the business, winning the, the property to sell is a two-stage process. One is getting the invitation through the door in the first place, which you can do by giving them your direct vendor leads that work better for a conventional agency. But the other thing is then being one of the three agents invited to give a market appraisal, winning the business against the other two agents who are also in the same boat. And there you can help the agent if you are on hand to do viewings immediately of any property. Because if the agent can go into a meeting with a potential seller and say, actually, genuinely, I have somebody who will come and have a look at this tomorrow, even if you don't instruct me now, um, can I bring them around? Can we do a little deal now? We'll set up an open-ended agreement so that I can bring them to you and show them your house. And, and even if you'd want to go with another agent eventually, is it okay if I introduce a prospective buyer before we go on the market? Obviously, that's a real strong point for the agent to win the business from their potential seller and you're the person who's on the end of the phone to go yeah i need you uh, gary there's a property in in your town that i need you to go and have a look at can you pop around tomorrow morning or are you free at some point in the next 24 hours so that's a real thing that you can bring anybody can bring to an estate agent as a way of helping the agent win their business but to take that further as i'm saying if you know that your strategy actually specifically works in a particular set of streets or set of properties the agent themselves can market to those properties knowing that you will go round on the back of any phone call and you then get to see a property which meets your strategy in your gold mine area that you've reached without having to pay for the marketing and you've seen before it goes on the market now, that's a genuine win-win situation um, and if the outcome of you buying that property will be that you refinance it and you use the brokers in-house from the estate agent and that then you either um, you might flip it or you might give it to the rental agent agency part of that agent but, and the estate agent is winning instructions because of you 
finding properties that work for your strategy and then winning more business on the back end of that because you're using them for all the other services that you need once you've done whatever it is you're doing with that property. That then you're going to get agents who are not just working with you, but are actually working for you to your strategy because they're getting every bit as much or more out of it as you are. Yeah, they're getting, a, well, in some cases, triple whammy, aren't they? They're getting the... Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, but most of all, they're getting the properties to sell in the first place. And um, they're leveraging you as much as you're leveraging them. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and that's really what the whole of the property business is. is, is as you know, it's creating win-win circumstances. So if, if you're an owner of a property and you're renting it out, you want a tenant who really likes living there, pays the rent every month, and lets you know as soon as there's a problem. Because the last thing you want is a tenant who doesn't pay the rent, um, doesn't tell you about the boiler leaking, and waits until you've got dry rot before they let you know that there's any kind of issue. So and the whole of the property business is about creating win-win situations where you help somebody out, and as a consequence, you get rewarded for it. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Uh, I think it's just the nature of the business, and it's an interesting game to be in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this is this is gold. This is absolutely perfect for everybody um, that, are, that are wanting to get into property or already in property because this this stuff, I mean, I've done six courses now mm-hmm. and this stuff I've, I've only ever heard from you. So it's amazing. That's, that's, that's interesting. It's good to know. And in the same way as um, I, I started off saying that many people who go into a state agency do so kind of almost by chance. Um, uh, and they're not necessarily proper property experts. You will find some people in agencies who have their own portfolio of property. Um, and they are very useful to talk to because they are likely to have a broader understanding of what you're trying to do as an investor. But most people don't know, won't know, because all they've ever looked at are houses to sell, houses to rent, and then tenants or buyers, and, and stitching those, pro- those two together. Most estate agents are effectively uh, dating agencies. Yeah. putting together two different people who want to meet each other because they've all got something that they each other wants. And, and that's all. But also on the training courses, um, you need the knowledge and experience and understanding of uh, uh, reading around or listening to audio books, if that's how, how you process your information. And I would suggest that you do need mentors. You need to learn from people who have already done what you want to do. And that might well involve getting involved uh, with, with professional training. Because if you're going to be the property professional, you need to be across the board. Uh, it's a little bit like the manager of a football team. You might not be the best player. You might not be a physiotherapist. You might not be a, a diet and nutrition person. You, you might not be a psychotherapist. But in order to get the best out of what your aim is, you're going to have to understand all of those aspects of the business so you can stitch all of those professionals together. So, um, yeah, go and get yourself some training. Go and get yourself some mentorship. But then use your local knowledge work with the local estate agents but but understanding their drivers and and how they do it and stitch together that portfolio of professionals that you can then become the unique focus for the the knowledge and the information from all of those spheres in your goldmine area in your town in your high street um so yeah don't just rely on any one source In, in in terms of estate agents um, an analogy I used uh, the other day and, and that I've, I've kind of relied on in, in all sorts of environments is you would not make a lifetime financial decision based on the advice of someone who is called a financial advisor who works nine to five and has to ask for their four weeks holiday a year inside a bank or a building society or a tax advisor's office. 
in the same way in property, you don't get your financial advice on which properties to buy or whether it's a good time to buy or a good time to sell or a good property to rent from the estate agent because the estate agent is the nine to five person. But the professional on the property, the trainers on the property course, the, the people who you do go to for that knowledge and information and for those skills and for that mentorship, don't know Sharon and Steve who are sitting on the front desk of, of um, Williamson and Co estate agents in your town. So you have to take the learning and the professional knowledge from the professional property investors and mentors and you have to take the personal knowledge and relationship building from the individuals in the in the buildings of the estate agencies in your town or the online agents who serve your town and you stitch them together and use that knowledge to make win-win situations for everybody yeah be the action taker in the middle and i'd also, yeah, also like to add to that so that's all all that what you mentioned is essential but i'd also add and say engage within a community of people that are like-minded as well um, yes, that's definitely. how I've got to chat to uh, my investor partner, um, chat to yourself, uh, speaking to people like Rich Stone, Emerald Fisk. Yeah. Um, all professionals um, and all that don't, I mean, apart from yourself, that, that do deliver courses, it's, all the others don't really do that yet. But by engaging in that community and just chatting to them and, and getting to know them and get to understand them, you get a lot of information. Oh, absolutely and friendship, and friendship as well it's it's great to uh, to get in there yeah and it, it is you, you're quite right uh, gary and it's a brilliant environment to work in because um once you are part of that community it's easy to perceive when you come into a new environment that either that everybody knows more than you or that if you talk about your stuff then everybody else wants to nick it off you um and uh, yeah you've got to be sensible about the way in which you approach relationships you don't just kind of open up your wallet and say after me help yourself um but equally you get so much more from mutually beneficial and reciprocal relationships and um there's kind of a brilliant analogy i've seen recently i actually had the the privilege of being on a on a training course with um, ellie mckay who's a, a, a podcaster and, and a property entrepreneur of, of some significant repute and merit um and is also, it turns out to be a really lovely person, very down to earth, very grounded, and also very full of all the same kind of, you know, questions about her role in the in the value chain as everyone else. So we in the room started off a little bit in awe of this um, extremely successful person, but but it was described, and she described it in terms of you have people that you look to who are ahead of you, who are offering you a helping hand. And in turn, you have an obligation to look to the people who are following on from you and to offer them a helping hand to get them up because that's how it works. You can do it on your own, but it'll take you ages and it won't be much fun. Whereas if you're part of a journey with people who are vested in your success and that you want to see succeed on their own terms as well, then it's so much better. You go so much faster and it's so much more of an enjoyable experience to do that. Yeah, I love Ellie. Yeah, she's a top, top lady. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I've engaged with her a few times and she's helped me out massively. I mean, she was on my first podcast. Yeah. She was the one that inspired me to do a podcast. Oh, and brilliant. I didn't know that. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. And that's the other thing, actually, is that you find out when you get involved in the community that for all, uh, you say there's 30,000 people in, in the, the community that we're kind of part of and talking into. Uh, actually, the active people come across one another time and time again and those dots get increasingly joined up to make a real big picture of, of people who are dynamic and who are involved and who are engaged 
Well, I didn't know you knew Ellie, but it turns out somebody that I, I'd met in a in a Torquay property forum a couple of weeks earlier has also done training with Ellie and also knows her. And you know, there, there are so many kind of touch points when when you start getting actively involved in that environment. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She's she's awesome. Yeah, awesome. Um, right. So we've we've touched on how to um, well understand an agency uh, powers within the office um, yeah. worked out how to then leverage each other and work together, create win-wins. Yeah. Is there any top tip that you would say the do's are or the don'ts are? Um, absolutely do understand what you can do for other people. Um, uh, you see this in so many different places in so many different ways that you, you get the impression that if, if wisdom is passed down from different sources, and yet they're all saying the same thing, then it must be true. So, for example, I'm part of a BNI group in my local community, Business Network International, for those who don't know the acronym. Uh, and essentially, it's a referral network where you give, you learn about the businesses of all the people in the room and you pass business to one another, not just from your own contacts, but you become effectively a, a bird dog, a marketeer. So if, if I heard you talking, uh, guys, that you needed somebody to, I don't know, rewire your house, then I put you in touch with Alan from Havels Electrical. As long as you're in Devon, yeah, they'd be able to help you out. But that—that's how it works. Um, and one of their key mottos is: this is an American organisation that's, that's spread all over the world. One of their key mottos is "Givers Gain." And your performance into the group is measured not by how much business you take, but by how many referrals you give, how many visitors you bring into the group, how many opportunities you open for other people. Um, and the quote which I, I finished as my final slide in the, in the presentation that you saw me give in, in, in uh, Hull recently um, is a quote from Zieg Ziegler, fabulously American Texan guy. Yeah. Uh, he's no longer with us, but Ziegler said, you can have anything in life you want as long as you can find ways to give enough people what they want. And, and I would say that really is the beginning and the ending of how, as property developers, you should approach everybody but estate agents in particular um because most developers that i've met or that i've seen across the desk when we were agents come in going i want this i want that i want below market values i want a rent to rent property i want to be the first on your list to see the new property that comes in the market and what developers haven't done or what they should be doing is going in and going i'm a property developer what can i do for you what do you need most in your business at the moment? How can I help you grow your business? Not because I want something out the other end of it, but because I know that if I deliver things to you, I'll be at the forefront of your mind. And I know because of the reciprocity that we, we, we have as, as human beings, that those people will want to do stuff for us. I mean, how many of, of your listeners have ever received a Christmas card from a friend or a relative and thought, oh, I've got to go and send them one. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. But if somebody does stuff for you, you feel you should be doing things for other people. And if you go into your agents or your tenants or your landlords or your investors with the view of what can I do for you? How can I make your business, your life better? Then all those good things will find you in return. You don't have to look for it. If I actually, you mentioned, we've mentioned Ellie Mackay. Ellie said to me, she's never stood up on stage and done any kind of pitch or presentation to, to gain investors. She's talked about trying to give value back, trying to either inspire people on their property journey or on their personal journey. But every time she's given a major presentation, an investor has come to her. 
not because she was asking for it, but because she's given value to people. And people mm. recognise that and want to reciprocate. I massively believe in the law of reciprocity. Um, so I think if you help people out, you get it back in abundance. Yeah, absolutely. Not from the person that you give it to. You don't give to receive from that person. You're just giving it out to help. And people look in and people will then start thinking, well, I want to work this guy or girl or whoever. Um, and yeah. they'll, they'll come and they'll find you. And I think yeah, that's what no. happened with, with my, well, a couple of my investors that I've got, that they saw what I was doing because um, I created a few Zoom sessions to improve people's knowledge on JCT contracts. Okay. It wasn't me delivering it. It was my friends that were delivering it. Yeah. So it was, it was, they were getting the, the kudos as well from it, but I just put them all together. I was the person that facilitated this. So I bring all the professionals together and they, they gave that. And, and also um, how to, to get repeat business from a builder because sometimes it's hard to get, get builders to come around. But if you know, yeah. similar to what you've just offered now, how to operate with a builder, and that happens. And that now with, with yourself, this is going to be brilliant. And I mean, brilliant for people who are going to be going out there trying to get their first deals, second deals, third deals, or even the ones that are seasoned, that once they understand this business, the estate agency business and letting agency businesses, they can get in there. They can, they can sort of break it down in their own mindset and work out a goal and have a different approach to the different styles. Yeah, so yeah I really, absolutely. I really appreciate everything that you've been giving. Uh, no, mate, it's, it's a, pre a pleasure. I hope it does help people out. Um, I think that key word that you just mentioned there towards the end is actually something that underpins all of it, and that's mindset. That if you go into a business believing that you can help the people in the room and that you can uh, give value to the people around you, and therefore that you will be of value to them and that you have a role to play and that you are part and parcel of a, a successful journey for everybody you engage with, then that's, that's just transfer, transfer, transformational, if I can actually get the word out. Um, that you know, There's no such thing as failure if you're, what you're trying to do is to help people out. Um, in, in different business contexts, but um, I was reminded very much of, in the property environment, something that I had from a mentor in a different business that I'm part of. Uh, and I joined this business and I said to the guy who was delivering the training, I said, um, what's the failure rate? What's the attrition rate? How many people who join this business and start at this point fail? Um, and as you can imagine, there's a whole room full of new inductees into the business. And, and the guy who's leading the course, there's a guy called Tom Marshall who's become a, a friend and very much a mentor figure. Uh, but Tom said to me, um, he's ex-Royal Marines, so kind of from a very driven background. Um, and he said to me, look, Joe, you keep asking all of these kind of slightly cynical, slightly uh, questioning um, things of me when you would imagine we're trying to encourage people with possibilities of what they can do. But you've asked me a direct question and I'll give you a direct answer that 50% of the people who start, 50% of the people in this room will fail because they, we won't see them again. They won't do anything. They, they won't build the business. They'll, they're at a course, they've signed up to something, but they won't actually take any action. So you ask me the question, the attrition rate is 50%. But, he said, you get to choose which 50% you're in. And, uh, you know, it was like a light going on. It's like, oh, yeah, if, if I stop, then I failed. If I don't do it, then, then how am I ever going to achieve anything? But if you keep doing it, it will work. And it may very well be, you know, not every agent is going to respond positively to every conversation you've had. It's a very good piece of advice to say, do your due diligence and your work and your practice in a town where you're not willing, where you're not going to invest. So um, you're up on the, the sort of northeast Midlands. You might be phoning an estate agent in Kent to try out some of the 
the approach is to have those conversations. You might go and book a week's holiday in Bognor and spend the week going around talking to every agent and coming out of those offices thinking, well, that didn't work, so what did I do wrong? Or what did I say right, or how did I engage? But ultimately, at the end of the day, if you talk to enough people, some of them will say yes. If you talk to enough agents, you will find people that you can work with. If you go into three and you get three hard and fast, we don't do that. We don't do corporate lets. We're, we're not interested in bikes. We can't do these things and go, oh, well, it doesn't work. Then the only person that is, is undermining your own business is you. So you have to start with a mindset of, I have a role to play. I am going to make somebody's business better. I am going to be the best landlord I can be. I'm going to give somebody a home that otherwise wouldn't have one. I'm going to give an estate agent business that they wouldn't otherwise get and help them grow their business. And I'm going to play that role for them. So my responsibility is to go and talk to those people because they need me. And sooner or later, if I talk to enough people, the ones that need me most will find me and I'll be there when they need it. As a consequence, you'll grow your own business, but it's a consequence of, of, of giving out to people in exactly the way you've described. It's not that you give to somebody and they give you back, it's that you give to somebody and the universe repays you. Yeah, uh, yeah, and no, I totally agree about it. And touching on a point you just mentioned there is, is just keep going. It's like what you said, yeah. you can go to three and it's a hard, fast no. The fourth might have been a yes, but you might quit at three because you think, well, that's 100% of no's. Yeah, absolutely. Well, really, the fourth and the fifth might have been yeses, and then the sixth might have been yeses, and before you know it, that's... That's the percentage that's changed. And I like this story about KFC. So he was trying to sell his secret recipe uh, to get chicken, and he went to more than a 1,000 right. to try and get somebody to, to go into business with him, to give him yeah. money to start a business. And now look at KFC. No, absolutely. And imagine if he'd stopped, but he just kept well, going. Everybody knows the stories of the, of the, um, the record label um, a and R people that turned down the Beatles and turned down U2, or the the publishers that turned down J.K. Rowling. I think Harry Potter was rejected by about twenty seven different publishers, something like that. You could be very easy to get to twenty five and go right. I've done the quarter of a century. That's it. I'm done. Mm. Or you can uh, you can keep going and two three calls down the track, you become the world's best selling author, owner of a franchise business that covers film and amusement parks and all sorts. It could easily have stopped with a manuscript in somebody's desk that two people had told them they didn't want to do it, so they'd stop sending it out. Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is, people adapt as they do this. They might not notice, yeah. but they'll adapt each time they go and, and start chatting to different people and trying things. Yeah, you've got absolutely. To, and you've got to change things. You've got to keep doing things the same, but you're naturally going to adapt. You're naturally going to change as you keep going and refine the way that you approach things and look at things differently to try and get through the door. Exactly that. And, and beginners, especially when you, you come into a new business, uh, whether it's property or anything else, at the start, you have the highest level of enthusiasm and the lowest level of skill. And what you need to do is to get set in your mind before you even begin that you need the perseverance and the resilience to overcome whatever barriers it might be. Because even as your enthusiasm starts to wane, and that's a very kind of a short, a short, um, short lifespan fuel to get you up and, and off the ground. But as your, um, your habits and your patterns of behavior start to form, so your skill level increases. And um, growth in any kind of aspects of one's life tends not to be sort of incremental day by day, I get a little bit better. It tends to be for 20 days, I get absolutely nowhere. And then suddenly I take a big leap 
And I think property businesses are very much like that as well, especially because the numbers are so big in some cases. But you might get 10 no's, but then you might get five yeses on the bounce because you've learned and you've refined and you've adapted. Your approach is slightly different and you just kind of get to grips with it. It's like learning to drive. You kangaroo hop down the road and you kangaroo hop down the road and then the next thing you know, you're cruising down the M5, changing radio channels on speakerphone, talking to your missus or whatever it might be and uh, still giving rude gestures out the window so the bloke could cut you up. Yeah, it's the four the four levels of learning. I don't know if you heard about the four levels of learning. No, after after so the bottom the, the bottom one is you're unconscious and you're incompetent, and it's similar. Uh, so you can use the analogy of of a baby not being able to walk. Yeah, no, I know where you are, you but, but you don't know you you can walk, and you don't know how to walk, but you don't know you can walk. But then you become conscious incompetent. So a baby's looking around, and it's looking and thinking, well, actually, I want to go walking, and they start to do the movements, but they're not competent. But then you get the conscious competent where the babies are stumbling around and, and it's it's walking, but it's really thinking about walking. And then you get the conscious, um, sorry, unconscious competent, like what you said with driving. It's, it just becomes yeah, natural. So as they get older, the people just walk. They're not yeah, really absolutely. thinking about not falling over because they know how to walk. Uh, that's, that's another great analogy. Actually, something I heard on one of uh, Rob Moore's podcasts a couple of days ago, um, that you should start, you fail with the expectation of success. Baby doesn't think, oh, I've fallen over, I'm not going to try. The baby knows they're going to end up walking. They don't even know that they know that. It's just embedded in them that it will be successful. And the same is true on anything, and in particular in property. We know, both of us know, that if you follow the steps consistently over time, eventually they will work and you will become a successful property developer, investor. We know that because everybody that we've seen who has become a successful investor has gone through that process. And everyone who we've seen go through that process and fail and have setbacks but then keep going has ended up becoming successful so you don't start thinking oh, i'm going to try this i'll see if it works you you start going, i try this i know it works just don't know how many times i'm going to have to fail at it before i get there or i don't know how many setbacks or mistakes i'm going to have to overcome before i reach the point of the success that i'm looking for um people who go into it thinking i'll try it and if it doesn't work i'll quit i'll do something else well you might as well just quit and do something else now because you save yourself the bother but, but the mindset and the expectation is this works. Look at the people around you. Look at the people in the community. Look at the trainers and the leaders and listen to their stories and where they came from and know that if you want what they've got, you have to do what they've done. And what they've done always is keep going in the face of adversity. Don't take your hand off the tiller because you 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 get a couple of knockbacks along the way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I like, like it when they say start now, get better later. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I like to add to it. I think I think you should start now, but start with your foundations. Recognize mm -hmm. that you've got to build foundations to then get going. So you could, like what you said, people say, well, I'll try it and see how it goes. Yeah. Some people I, try I, see how it goes without building the foundation set of recognizing that they need to build a business, which is good. I mean, find out who can assist you with that. that again, you just find people who can assist you. Yeah. Then start networking. Networking with people that, that have done this and, and looking up to the guys that have already done this. Mm. And once you, once you see that, then you start building the foundations. Very quickly, after you've set everything up, things start falling into place. And then you start yeah. moving forward a lot faster. So like we said, build resilience by building foundations and then get persistence um, or continue with your persistence of keeping going and trying to do things and, and adapting as you go, go along. Because every yeah. no is closer to a yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. I think that's... Um, We've, we've talked over this and I really appreciate it. I always learn a lot um, chatting to you. Really appreciate your time. Um, 
final few questions though um what what's happening with you in the future what what are you going to be up to uh, good question. Uh, well, kind of part of our short-term aspiration is that we're uh, looking to build some uh, rent-to-rent properties for cash flow. Um, we sold, as I said, most of our agency business, for all of our agency roster um, in uh, September just gone, so a couple of months ago now. Um, but we have kept on one of our staff members who ha- is the best person that we've worked with over our 16 years in agency business. Not that we haven't worked with some very good people, but he's particularly uh, someone we want to keep a relationship with. Uh, we actually want to help him build up his own property business over time. But short term, we need some money coming in every month to replace the income streams that we sold within the business. So that's our very, very immediate. That's what our next couple of months look like. Um, going from that, in our property business, we are interested in doing starting off with um, uh, domestic conversions, adding value, adding rooms, adding extensions, adding loft conversions to, to properties in our locality for a sort of mid-term uh, return on, on refurbishment projects. And then the kind of the longer-term aspiration is to get into uh, the world of commercial conversions. I think the, uh, the, the pandemic has accelerated a trend, which we've all seen anyway, of the high street becoming less about retail space and much more about living space. And uh, we'd like to contribute to that, to, to repurpose buildings where all the capital investment and the infrastructure and the environmental um, implications of, of building something in the first place have already been uh, cashed and reconciled. And what we can do going forward is to take what would be a redundant warehouse or a redundant store and turn it back into high quality living accommodation for people and in, into the next century rather than redundant buildings from the last. Mm. Um, the other thing that we're doing that you've alluded to a couple of times is um, I, I said at the start, my parents kind of envisaged me going into teaching in some way, shape or form. And I've always had that as kind of a part of what I do. Um, we haven't mentioned it, but I coach the University of Exeter Rugby League team, for example, um, which is a privileged environment to be talking to a very intelligent and articulate bunch of rugby players or you tell them to do something and you tell them why and they get it and they do it. I've, I've coached a lot of sports teams and very few teams actually do what you tell them to do. Yeah. Um, but that kind of coaching and mentorship aspect is something that I really, really enjoy doing. Um, I, I mentioned that I met Ellie on a, on a speaker training course and I'm hoping to do some more work over the, the coming months and years with, with the Progressive Property Group. Um, as you'll know, they're the biggest property training company in the UK. And I'd like to play some sort of role in that. Um, and in particular, some of the things that I've been outlining to you in terms of um, uh, how to deal with estate agents for property developers um, is something where I do think I've got a, a kind of a unique approach that I can bring some value into the community. Um, so that's kind of a direction that I'm working on personally away from the bricks and mortar side of the property business, but into the, uh, the delivery of, of knowledge and information into the community. Yeah, so that sounds all amazing. And especially getting something like a deep dive into estate agency, getting through the door. God, how, how would how would people contact you for that then? Um, the easiest way to find me is actually on, on Facebook. Um, I am Joe, J-O-E, Catcher Side, which is Catch Letter E Side. Uh, there are only two people with that name in the country. And if you meet the guy up in the Northeast, who, uh, uh, <laughs> you'll know pretty quickly that it's not me. Um, what I'm looking to do, actually, is because myself and my wife and, and uh, a couple of people within our business are writing 
a both uh, a book and some training materials around how to talk to a state agency. Um, I'd be really keen to hear first and foremost from anyone in the community who has, has any questions or challenges in dealing with agents. And in particular, I'm looking for probably four or five people in the community that I can work with on a much more kind of focused and intense uh, basis, um, uh, entirely for free, because the training materials that I want to deliver I need to know that I'm expressing things in the right way, giving the right kind of value, giving the right kind of um, information that people need. And so I want to work with a focus group who are happy to put in a few hours and get some training from me, get some pointers as to what I think they should be looking at. And in return for that, then give me some feedback and some guidance as to what works and what, what's been useful or what they need to know a bit more about what maybe can drop from that process so if people find me on facebook um drop me a friend request or a message and if they want to get involved in that kind of um uh, uh, sort of trial period beta testing of the stuff that we're developing then i would love to hear from people and see if i can help them what i'll do is in my um when i'm promoting this uh, and when it's live i'll make sure that i put a link to your facebook yeah that's, a, that's an amazing offer um tempted myself 100 tempted myself so <laughs> might only be four left guys um definitely get in there definitely speak to joe this is something worth doing and i think it'll bring a lot of value to to how you operate awesome that's that's awesome um going touching on the commercial conversion side that's what what i'm doing at the minute with my investor we've got four yeah. well i say we've got four we've got two that we've got funded the other the other two we're after funding um but come and see what we're doing come and check yeah. it out and that goes for anybody if anybody wants to see what we're doing how we do things how we do our due diligence and so on that allows us to to progress quite quick. Give us a shout. Yeah, that'd be yeah. fantastic. Across. Final question. What's your brightest skies? Now, that's a very interesting question. Um, the reason that I do any and all of this, um, and I'm sure you're very familiar with Simon Sinek and start with why. My personal why is for my family, uh, for my Australian wife, and uh, although we try not to talk about cricket too much at the moment, uh, but in every other aspect, she's, she's a lovely lady. Uh, and for my kids, for my son, Robert, who's just about to turn 19, and my daughter, Polly, who is 14. Um, and the brightest guys for us are, uh, uh, well, literally that. Uh, we've got a number of things that the, the pandemic put on hold for us. Um, one is that it should have been this summer, but it will be next summer now. We're flying out to... Florida, we think in early August, and we'll be in the States for four weeks, ending up after a week in Florida with my sister-in-law in California, um, in a couple of cities on the way to get over there. So we'll have some nice kind of Californian and, and Floridian summer skies to look forward to. Um, and ultimately, it's to be in a position in a couple of years' time where we can, when the, once the kids have finished their, their structured education, that we as a family can spend six months in the UK, six months in ours, uh, so that Melinda gets to enjoy time with her family. Um, and yeah, obviously my family now as well. I've, I've mentioned that, that my father-in-law is the inspiration behind our property business. Um, and, and that's why we do it. So our brighter skies are the, the brighter skies that we fly up and off into to California and Florida and hopefully Sydney in the not too distant future. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for being on my podcast. Um, listeners, if, you, if you're very interested in what Joe's offered, please get in contact. Uh, I will make sure that I put the link in there. But if I do fail in one of the posts, just give me a nudge and I can point you in the direction of Joe if you can't find him. But thank you for your own podcast, Joe.
Guys, that's been absolutely fantastic. Um, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to the Brightest Skies podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To find out more about the work that Gary does, please visit his website, brightestskiesproperties.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a rating and review on the platform where you heard it. Thanks for listening and see you next time.